0: Good morning. It is truly an honor and a priv- privilege to be here today. Um, I'm sure many of you aren't familiar with who I am, and that's because I don't really come up here. Uh, well, except as Candice mentioned last week when my wife and I had our, our first child, our, our son dedicated here. But my parents started coming to Rexdale back in 1999. And so I have been blessed and challenged by the community here for, for many years. But for the past three years my wife and I have been living outside of Canada, first in the US and, and now in Bangladesh. And we've just come home this summer for the delivery of our child and we'll be returning back to Bangladesh in a couple of weeks. But it still feels like home coming back here, so so thank you. Now, in full disclosure, I am not a pastor. My background is in industrial design and economic development and my wife is a nurse and together we work for the Mennonite Central Committee in Bangladesh where we use our skills to improve the quality of life and income for the rural poor. But like everyone here, we also have a unique journey, and so God has given us a unique perspective. And so today, I'd just like to share with you three of the things that God has been continually reminding me and teaching me. But I hope that as I share it from from my perspective, that for you it would take on a new dimension. And these things for many of you... May not be new, but yeah, just just hear it from a different perspective. Now the first point is this, that God is the only source of life. And the next point is this, that the abundant life that God offers us is only available through the death of Jesus. But in order for us to receive this, we too have to die to ourselves. Now, this is the core of what I'll be talking about, so I'll spend most of my time on this second point. And then the last point is this is that God's free gift of abundant life is sustained in the power of the Holy Spirit through feasting upon his word in community. So before we begin, shall we pray? God, we we thank you for today and bringing everyone here to this time and space. We trust that you are sovereign and pray that over the course of this service that you would increase as we decrease. God, I pray that as I share from the experiences you have given me, that we would hear your voice. Speak, Lord, and help us to listen. Amen. So, my first point is this that God is the only source of life. And I would like to share with you to begin a poem, a piece of spoken word that I feel far more eloquently encapsulates this. Um, it is a poem by uh, an artist called Micah Bornet, who uses his creative outlet to talk about his faith and issues of. Social justice. So let's take a listen.
1: Ex nihilo is a theological term meaning out of nothing. And it's referring to the story of creation in the book of Genesis and the writings of the prophet Moses. And what it's trying to explain is the idea that God didn't use any material substance when he was making the cosmos. It's not like he took dirt and water and mixed them together into a ball to form the earth, but he made it out of nothing. But then I was reading the story, and I realized something. The text says, and God said, let there be light. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God spoke until the whole of the universe was. And so I realized it wasn't out of nothing. It was something. He used his words, and that's something significant especially to a person who pays attention to words, and I thought, man, what did those words sound like? They must have been the most beautiful, the most poetic words ever spoken. Imagine Imagine. nothing. Nothing. Not darkness. Darkness darkness. is something. Imagine Imagine, no no darkness. darkness. No thing to look at, no eyes, no eyes to no look with, even without In- eyes, there's nothing either. to miss. Emptiness. emptiness. Wait, no space to be empty? Imagine no emptiness, imagine no, no imagination. imagination. Now, imagine creation. Uh, Materialized speech, rising from the lips of who pre-exist. pre-exist. In the beginning, God created. With words. Imagine the language, imagine the words, imagine the adjectives employed to modify earth, hold that ear to the perfect of majestic sin, listen as the infinite articulates the landscape of which thee are speechless. Speak, Lord, speak, let there be...
0: Hello, something from nothing. That poem is a powerful reminder of who God is and in perspective who we are. Now, for myself, having a background in design, I am keenly familiar with the process of developing a new product. I know that in order to create something new, you need something to work with. And the more building blocks one has access to, like materials, the more creative or complex the product can be. But when God created man, he created us out of nothing. He spoke the world into creation. Yes, God used his words, but these words weren't a part of him. They were a part of They were still him. And so even when God's final act of creating man, he breathed life into him. And so we see that out of the mouth of God comes life. And he is the source of life then. And that was my first point, that God is the only source of life. Now, the second point is this, is that the abundant life that God offers us is only available through the death of Jesus. And in order for us to receive this, we too have to die to ourselves. Now, the, the creation of life has been on my mind a lot lately, and the most obvious reason for this is because my wife and I just had our first son. And back in the fall, though, when we found out Aaron was pregnant, we were very excited, but also quickly realized there were a lot of unknowns. And so luckily I had the wisdom to recognize that I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so I started reading a book that my sister-in-law gave me. I think it was a gag gift. It was called The Pregnancy Book for Men. <laughs> <laughs> and and for me, during the pregnancy stages, at least, the the concept of being responsible for a, another life was, was really abstract. And I think this is probably the same for a lot of men. And so so this book sought to to, as a woman's body is going through significant physiological changes, um, this book sought to develop a sort of empathy towards the woman. <laughs> now, now, apparently, as, as a baby grows inside of a womb, this actually happens at the expense of the mother. Now, what do I mean by this? For, well, for example, when, when my wife was pregnant, at one point she got very sick, and so we had to take her to the hospital. And At this point we were obviously we're very concerned about the baby and the doctors told us do not worry because Despite the fact that Aaron couldn't eat enough and couldn't get enough nutrients The baby would get priority over the nutrients and then whatever was left over would go to the mother So here we see that at the expense of the mother that the baby gets these nutrients now what I'm about to say the conclusion that I will draw next it might sound derogatory it might sound very cruel to many people but the scientific definition of a parasite, and let me read it for you, is an organism that lives in or on another organism and benefits by deriving nutrients at the expense of the host. Now, because most of the examples we are probably familiar with are negative, we've come to solely associate parasites with something negative, something bad, something derogatory. But, but by definition, when a baby is growing in the mother's womb, this is not a negative thing. This is a tremendously beautiful thing. Therefore, for 10 months, a parasite was growing inside of my wife. And this strong analogy for me not only helped me to develop a much deeper appreciation for my wife as she soldiered through this pregnancy, but it also caused me to look at parasitic relationships, look at dependency relationships from a new perspective. Because prior to this, Most of my experiences and examples that I was familiar with were negative. For for example, last year, when Aaron and I were in Bangladesh for for several months, we were quite tired and exhausted. So we decided to go for a weekend getaway to the rainforest region. And so we got there and we decided to, to go for a hike in the rainforest. And so we weren't familiar with the area, so we hired a local guide. And this guide had some supplies with him, including a very curious small can of powdered tobacco. So we get to the rainforest and we're hiking through the paths, And then he decides to take us off the path to start hiking through some dried up riverbeds. And this was beautiful. We got to see amazing things, but we didn't come prepared for this. And so our open-toed shoes left us exposed. They left us exposed to leeches. And so as we would walk by these these um, unwanted entities would latch on to our legs and start sucking blood out. And at some points, there were so many of them that you wouldn't even notice when they, they latched on. You would only notice after a while when you feel something being drawn out of you. And so at this point, our host then pulled out his can of powdered tobacco and started smearing it all over our, our legs. And, you know, leech bites sound terrible. And, and they are. They're quite uncomfortable. But they're not that serious. You can, you can flick them off. And the best way to prevent them from latching on is to, to not expose your skin. But if they, at this case, there were so many of them that he used this as a barrier if they, to prevent them from latching on, and even if they did, so that they would stop sucking. Now, here we see that a parasite, this is probably plays into what we're most familiar with. A parasite is a negative relationship because here is an entity that unwantedly draws life from the host. And so, this probably is the most common type of example we are familiar with, something negative. And it's so commonly associated with negative, it's become an even an idiom to, to associate people that we deem as freeloaders. But not all parasitic relationships are negative. When, when Eli, my son, was growing inside of my wife, this was definitely not unwanted, not negative, and he has brought only joy. You know, a few years ago, Aaron and I had another opportunity to see another type of parasitic relationship. We had the opportunity to go to Costa Rica and to see an organization that was doing community development in the neglected mountain regions. And towards the end of our trip, our host took us for a hike in the rainforest. And a few hours in, he stopped to show us his favorite spot in the jungle. And at first glance, this wasn't anything spectacular. It was a a tree in, in the forest. Uh, but upon closer examination, one could see that this was a newer tree that had its roots wrapped around and grafted into an older tree. Now, as this older tree was dying, it was giving off new life. And for our host, this was an example, a reminder of how Christ died to give us life. Now, I opened with saying that God created us, created the world out of nothing. But because of sin, Jesus had to die so that we could continue to live the abundant life that God has promised and desires for us. So here we see something, the death of a tree, the death of Christ, from something, Oh, some, I mean our life, from something, the death of Christ. Now, now Jesus also uses a similar botanical metaphor um, to talk about life and death. In the Gospel of John, it says, John 15 verse 4, it says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. And so we see here if we remain in Christ because he is the source of life, we have life just like that tree in Costa Rica. Christ died and gave up his life so that we can have life. We can have an intimate relationship with him and go directly to the source of life without any barriers without any tobacco. But how, how does this look like for you and me? What does it mean to graft on to the source of life? I've organized this verse into a flow chart. Um, so the bread of life, the fruit, the life, uh, to bear fruit, the life um, that God talks about that here, how do we receive this? We are, well, in verse 5 it says we are to remain in him, and in verse 7 his words are to remain in us. So, how do we remain in Christ? Well, in verse 8, it says we are to show ourselves to be his disciples. Okay, so how do we show ourselves to be his disciples? In verse 9, it goes on to say we are to remain in his love. So, how are we to remain in his love? It says we are to keep his commands. Well, what are these commands? The command is to love each other as I have loved you. And so... How has Christ loved us to lay down one's life for one's friend? Now, there is a lot of information in this flowchart, and this could probably be a whole sermon series in and of itself. But what we can see here, in order to bear fruit, to have life, there is this element of laying down one's life for one's friend. There's this element of death. So almost paradoxically, we can see that in order to bear fruit, there is this element of death something Christ's death, uh, our life from something Christ's death. But the journey doesn't end with death. Now, what, what do I mean by this? Well, let's go back to another metaphor, another botanical analogy. Bangladesh, the, the country that we live in, is, is one of the most densely populated countries in the world. It has close to 160 million people. And, and out of this, about two thirds of the population are rural, and again, another, about half of the labor force are in agriculture, are farmers. Yet, this only contributes a mere 17% of the economy, and so, a lot of the work that we do is focused on the rural poor, and by, by and large, a lot of it is focused on agriculture, because here is a significant scope to improve their income, and thus their quality of life. In the town, um, one of the interventions that we have is, is, we, um, is we work with local farmers to teach them improved agricultural practices. Now, my background is in economic development, but I've been working a lot with people that are trained in agriculture. So I've been learning a few things. And so one of this intervention, we teach them how to make improved compost from locally available materials. And, and this results in a better product. Now, uh, better harvest. Now in, in Bangladesh, most of the rural farmers are exploited by large chemical companies and they are sold chemicals that they don't need for their crop. But because of this, they can produce a better crop that is visibly bigger, visibly brighter, visibly healthier. And now I work with them to help them sell it to a middle class consumer who is willing to pay more for this. And so in this way, the farmers not only save money from not buying things they don't need, but they can make more money by selling a better quality product. But what I find fascinating about this whole intervention is that it starts at the beginning from a decaying and, de- de- uh, decaying and dying organic matter that from this compost, it feeds new life. In the Gospel of John, Jesus uses a similar agrarian analogy to explain life through death to explain how his death brings life. In John 12, verse 23, it says, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, to be crucified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be, my father will honor the one who serves me. And so in the same way, Jesus calls us to follow him and to die, to die to this world so that we can have life in him and from him in this world and in the next. But the death that Christ calls us to is far more complex than simple physical death because Christ himself rose to life from physical death. No, the death that Christ calls us to is a constant dying and rebirth a constant dying to the ways of this world and to a radically new life in the midst of a world that is dying christ offers us something abundant life from something a death to self but this is an ongoing basis now aside from these botanical analogies of seeds and, and compost what does it look like for people to be dying to their old self and finding new life what does it mean to be pursuing this new life? Well, for example, well before I get into this example, poverty is, is multidimensional. There are many aspects to it. There is relational, there is political, there is spiritual, and probably what we're most familiar with is there is physical poverty, the lack of material assets, what we see most abundantly in Bangladesh. And because of this system of poverty, many people get trapped in a system that forces them to act in desperation. And in the town where we live in, in Bangladesh, there are women who become so desperate because of this that they are forced into or they willingly choose to go into prostitution to provide for their families. Now, one of the programs that MCC runs is a rehabilitation program for former sex workers, women that want to leave this life to seek dignified employment. Now, part of this program, we, we teach them soft skills like Um, child-rearing, like hygiene, like cooking, conflict resolution. But we also teach them technical employable skills like literacy or sewing. And after the women come through this program, we work hard to find them dignified employment. And many of these women end up working in the handicraft sector where MCC has created a lot of businesses. But as the years go on, this, this sector, the handicraft sector, has become quite... Saturated, and so it's becoming harder and harder to find employment for these women. But from our follow-up program, we know that we still have a very high success rate of keeping these women off the street. Now, what is amazing about this is that after the women come through this program, they only have the potential to earn a fraction of what they were making before. And yet the temptation to return to their former life is all around them because the need is so great to provide for their family. And yet we see here that these women have to continually die to their old self. By simply entering into the rehabilitation program, doesn't mean that they are changed. They have to decide to leave it on a daily basis and pursue new life. They have to constantly die. And like like I said, poverty is complex. It's far more than just material well-being. And as these women die to their old self... They are becoming richer as they see that their lives have immense value and that they are created in the image of God. And this is why it's only fitting that this program is called Pobitra, which in Bengali means holy. Now, Jesus also has a higher or holy calling for us, and that is to follow his example, to live a life not governed by rules or expectations or social norms of this world. No, Jesus asks us to and calls us to die to these things, And to follow his example, he calls us to be directed by values and principles, like like those on the Sermon on the Mount, which turns the things of this world upside down. Jesus calls us to live a radically different life, in which people will know we are Christians by our love. And that through this, the upside-down kingdom, the kingdom of God, will be made visible here on earth. God calls us to walk a long and narrow path, and not to simply make a one-time decision. And so we see that something, this, this abundant life, from something, the death to self, is, is a long journey of faith. And so this was the second reminder that God has been placing in my heart, is that the abundant life that God offers us is only available through the death of Jesus. But in order for us to receive this, we too have to die to ourselves. And the last point that I want to share with you today is that God's free gift of life is sustained in the power of the Holy Spirit through feasting upon his word in community. Our Christian scholar, N.T. Wright, has a really insightful article called Heaven is Not Our Home, and in it he says, The mission of the church is nothing more or less than the outworking in the power of the Spirit of Jesus' bodily resurrection. It is the anticipation of a time when God will fill the earth with his glory, transform the old heavens and the earth into a new and raise his children from the dead to populate and rule over the redeemed world he has made. The whole world is God's holy land. We must not rest as long as the land is spoiled and defaced. This is not an extra to the church's mission. This is central. And so because God is sovereign over all of creation, following his example means that we are to die to ourselves and partake in what he is already doing through the church and redeeming all of creation. This is an invitation to a vertical relationship with God, but also a horizontal relationship with the church. So again, what, what does this look like again for you and me? Well... God speaks to us all in different ways. God led the Israelites out of Egypt through a dramatic pillar of fire, yet he also spoke to Elijah through the gentle nudgings of a still, small voice. So so maybe God will speak to you dramatically and ask you to give up more of your time or money to serve others, or God could speak to you through the gentle nudgings of the Holy Spirit and ask you in one particular conversation to die to your pride. Or God could, like he did with Paul on the road to Damascus, could blind you to the things of this world and give you a new vision. Or like Moses with the burning bush, God could give you a clear signal, but cause you to stop what you are doing and to follow it, investigate it, to leave comfort and complacency to to find more answers. I am not here to tell you what to do, but to encourage you to listen to God, to discern where his Holy Spirit is leading you, But what is required of you is to be obedient to his calling. You know, that same God that spoke the world into existence is still very much active today. And as as N.T. Wright said, not just here or overseas, but all around us, all of creation. God is redeeming all of creation. And so our mission field is, is all around us. That means that this higher calling is where God has placed us currently or where God could call us to go. Now, in the book of Genesis, there is an amazingly simple testimony. And in comparison to, to Abraham or Moses or Jacob or David, I, I don't know what Enoch accomplished in comparison to them. But what it says of him is that he was obedient. And it says in verse 524, it says, Enoch walked faithfully with God. And then he was no more because God took him away. That's it. Obedience. So, so God speaks to us all differently But we must be willing to let go of the things of this world so that we can grasp on to this new life. Unless we are willing to let go, to die to these things, we are unable to take hold of new life. When when Aaron was was pregnant with our son uh, son Eli and about to deliver him, several medical complications occurred. And so the decision to deliver him via C-section was made. And one of the complications was that he was at high risk of choking on fluids. And so, in the operating room, there were several people on standby, so that as soon as he entered into the world, they could probe his mouth and they could suction out any um, fluids in his lungs. But but when Eli came out, he he had a big cough and he thus dispelled whatever could have caused him to choke. And so, with that release, he was able to breathe in new life. You know, when when God created man, He breathed life into him out of the mouth of God comes life. And, And God continues to breathe life into us today. This is why we call the Bible the Word of God. But in order to grasp onto this, we have to spit out the fluids. We have to spit out the things of this world so that we can grasp onto this new life. We have to graft onto the source of life that freely, that God gives us freely through his death. Through a death that conquered death. It begins with accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made but it is an ongoing journey. Now, unlike the relationship between a parasite and its host, like a leech and its host, Jesus openly welcomes us to continually draw life from him. In John 6, verse 35, it says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And again, in verse 51, it says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. The the bread of life is, is such a powerful metaphor. In a culture where bread is the staple, where it is the central aspect of a meal, the bread of life not only talks about physical life, but it also talks about spiritual life. The bread of life alludes to something more than just The bread itself, it also talks about how meals are consumed. Meals are rarely consumed individually. They're consumed in community. Over eating bread, over having a meal, this is where relationships are deepened, where relationships are fostered, where visitors are welcomed. And so over a meal, an invitation to have a meal together is an invitation to share a moment of life together. As I was researching for today, I looked into the root word, of parasite, And it comes from a Greek word, which means parasitos, which means a person eating at another's table. And this comes from two root words, para, meaning alongside, and sitos, meaning food. So unlike Aaron and I trying to ward off leeches with tobacco powder, Jesus openly invites us to sit at his table and to feast on the life that he offers us through his death. This was the third reminder that that God's free gift of life is sustained in the power of the Holy Spirit through feasting upon his word and community. Now, I've shared with you many stories from today, and they can be summarized in these three lessons. The first is this, that God is the source of life. The second is this, that the abundant life that God offers us is only available through the death of Jesus, and in order to receive this, we too have to die to ourselves. And the last is this, that God's free gift of life is sustained in the power of the Holy Spirit through feasting upon his word and community. Now, to some of you, these, these points aren't new information, but I've been praying that your hearts would be open to hear them from a new perspective and to, to accept this, the simplicity of it. You know, when, when I was seven years old, my grandparents decided to buy me my first Bible. And so I remember going to the store and I found this, you know, this sleek, leather, black Bible, uh, a big-boy Bible. Uh, but, but that's not what my grandparents bought me. No, they bought me this kid's Bible, this anthropomorphic, goofy-looking character on it. And it was so embarrassing. <laughs> but, but after all of these years, this is still the Bible that I prefer to use. <laughs> it is a regular NIV Bible. It just got colorful inserts. <laughs> but, you know, when life becomes complicated and heavy... I can simply look to this kids' Bible and I'm reminded to have faith like a child. I'm reminded that when that th- this doesn't mean to be ignorant or to be naive, but it, it it's just a reminder that there's one that I can cast all of my burdens on. There's one who offers me a simple free gift of eternal and abundant life. For me, this Bible is a reminder that that often the deepest aspects of our faith God has made the most simplest. The the great modern artist Pablo Picasso once said, it took, me a life, it took me four years to paint like Raphael, but a lifetime to paint like a child. And, and so the same is for me that it's been a lifelong journey to grasp these simple truths and to live it out in a complicated world. And so it doesn't matter where we are on our walk of faith. God calls us all to continually take steps of faith as we follow Jesus into an eternal and abundant life through death. This, this is not an easy calling. This is not a life free of, from hardships. It is a life of abundance, though, in the midst of a world that is dying. It is a call to partake in what God is already doing in, in both the sacred and secular, in redeeming all of creation, in filling the world with his glory. It is a call to graft on to the source of life, to graft on to the body of Christ, the church, and to be his representatives here on earth, to be his hands, Now, now, although God offers this gift freely, it, it costs us everything. He offers us something, this abundant life, from something, Christ's death. And through following him into death, us giving up something, we experience life abundantly, something from something. Thank you.
2: We're going to do the benediction in two parts. First, I would like to bless you, and then we as a body would like to just bless Nishant and Eli and Aaron. You know, something that Nishant said, I actually wrote it down. He said, uh, we have the gift of, and I added in, and we are the gift of new life amongst and amidst a world that is constantly dying. And so this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to bless you with incredible opportunities this week to be the new creation that you are. And that includes taking off the old and putting on the new. Opportunities for new thoughts, new words, and new deeds all in the life of Christ. And then We want to just bless you as a family, and I want to ask all of you just to extend your hands forward as we bless you, the Dust family, um, in this new season of ministry as you go back to Bangladesh in two weeks. May you know the incredible favor and anointing of the Lord upon you in each of your various ministries. We want to pray for abundance of life in health, especially for Eli as you go back, And also abundant opportunities for you yourselves to let go and to take on the incredible opportunities that God will give you uh, for obedience to do His will. And may your life be evidence of the fruit of what it means to remain in Him. So go in Jesus' name. Amen.